family, and welcome to the 25th Silver Anniversary of Strong Tower Bible Church. All this month, we will be celebrating with friends and family from across the country. Twenty-five years ago this month, Strong Tower Bible Church was birthed. From the YMCA to the Franklin Factory to Granny White Pike, God has been faithful to us. Psalms 118.23, this is the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes. strong tower. The righteous run into it and are safe. The Lord has been a keeper for strong tower. The Lord has been a deliverer for strong tower. been a provider for Strong Tower Bible Church. We reflect on God's faithfulness towards us. Come on, Strong Tower, let's celebrate our Lord this morning. Good morning, Strong Tower Bible Church, and happy, happy, happy anniversary to you. Isn't God amazing to call this church into being and to allow us to journey together for 25 years in his name, for his sake, and for his glory? I'm so glad to be here, and I'm also glad to preach a word this morning that I hope will encourage you. So turn in your Bibles to the book of Acts chapter 19, Today I'm preaching from the New International Version. And after we go to Acts 19, we'll then go over to Acts chapter, excuse me, Ephesians chapter three, Ephesians chapter three. So let me pray. Father, thank you for this word. Thank you for this time, this opportunity. Thank you for this church. Father God, we are only here because of you. We are only here because your son said, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Lord, thank you for building Strong Tower Bible Church. And this morning, might we be encouraged over what you have done, what you are doing, and what we are believing you will do in and through this local church. Thank you, Father. We bless you. We honor you. And we pray this in the name of your son, the name that gives us access, the person who gives us power in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Most Sundays here at Strong Tower Bible Church, I will conclude the service with a benediction. And a benediction is simply a closing prayer. And in that closing prayer, I am asking God to bless the congregation of Strong Tower Bible Church. And nine times out of 10, I will quote Ephesians chapter three, verses 20 through 21 where it says now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think. And it's according to the power that is at work within us to him be glory in the church, both now and forevermore. Amen. Because I'm sending you out believing that God is going to do just that, that he's going to do more than you can ever anticipate or expect that God will blow your mind, that he will show up and show out, which is what he loves to do, that he would open doors that no man can shut. He would even shut doors that no man can open, that he would do miracles in your life to heal bodies, minds, souls, relationships, touch your finances, your housing, your transportation, uh, your, everything about you, that God would just be God on your behalf. And that's what I pray as you leave. However, 
Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 through 21 doesn't technically mean that. What it really means in its context is that God is able to do something. To do what? That God is able to bring together different kinds of people who normally don't go together. So in a diverse church like ours, I'm asking that God will continue to keep us together and that he would use us to reach more people who need to know about his love, who are on the fringes, who are the outcasts, people of different ethnicities, and, and that he would bring them together in his name and maybe even in this church. So that's what Ephesians 3.20 really is all about. And that's what I want to talk about today in a message entitled, Now to Him, the one who is able to do, to bring different kinds of people together in him. What is unexpected, he is able to do. Uh, because the people in the church at Ephesus, when they were lost, they had no idea that they would do life. Gentiles with Jews and Jews with Gentiles. But now unto him who is able to do more than what they could ever ask or imagine. And when we look at the world in which we live in today, it is a mess. And a lot of it is divided, at least in this country, over race. What began in 1619 is still in the environment and in structures today. And we see it played out on the news almost every day in terms of racial injustice, racial tension and racial division. And as we look at the lay of the land, it's obvious that there is an ordeal out here. But as believers, <clears throat> excuse me, we need to know and be reminded of God's ideal and his capability to bring people who are at odds with one another together. But before we can talk about seeing unbelievers come to Jesus and, and, and have a heart transformation and, and, and have a, a whole philosophy of life, a Christian worldview added to them through discipleship, we've got to first talk about the church. Uh, we ought to know better, but we are just as racially and culturally divided as the world is. And so it makes you realize why we can't impact the world because we are many times the major proponents of racial division in the country. Oh boy, but I am believing that the more we look at what is ideal, as we'll see today from Ephesians 3, it will give us hope and wisdom in the midst of this ordeal that we find ourselves in. You see, the church of Ephesus was a multiracial church from the beginning. Just like Strong Tower Bible Church, God chose that we would be multiracial from the beginning. Look with me at Acts chapter 19, verse 10. This is Paul out on one of his missionary journeys. Some say the second journey, some say the third journey, but thank God he went out. Look at verse 10. The Bible says this went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. So Paul, when he went into Ephesus, went first to the synagogue to minister to the Jews. Then he went to this lecture hall of Tyrannus, according to verse nine, and he ministered to Jews and Gentiles for a space of two years. Jews and Gentiles came to faith in Christ and they were discipled together and a church was formed that was multiracial. And Paul stayed in the city from two to three years. As a matter of fact, uh, the preceding verses tell us that a riot would eventually break out in Ephesus, a riot that was caused by economic distress and even racial turmoil. So, so again, it sounds very much like what we see going on today in many of our cities from Atlanta to Wisconsin to Minneapolis, that there are riots and protests breaking out economics and race being at the crux of these communal problems. Well, Paul, after this riot came to an end, he felt led to go to Macedonia because as an apostle, he would go from place to place planting churches, making disciples. So he goes to Macedonia. But while he is in Macedonia, he chooses to call for the elders of the church at Ephesus. And I want you to hear what Acts chapter 20, 
verse 17 says about this encounter. Beginning at verse 17, it says, From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears. Although I was severely tested by the plots of the Jews, you know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. So Paul is saying here to this church, you know how I labored and how I loved everybody. I ministered to Jews and to Greeks, and that's why this church is diverse, because I was intentional with the gospel, just as our Lord told us to make disciples of all nations, to not be segregated in our evangelism, but to be holistic in our evangelism. And Paul took Jesus at his word. Some ministers did not do that back then. They only wanted to minister to their own people. But Paul said, I love the Jews, but I also love Gentiles. And as we'll see in a moment, Paul had a peculiar calling on his life to be able to minister effectively to Gentiles. But what I want you to see right now is that this church from its inception was multiracial. They were different ethnically. This church in Ephesus was different culturally. They were different religiously because the Jews obviously uh, worshiped the God of the Old Testament. The Gentiles worshiped many gods and many of, of, of their uh, religious practices were um, uh, accompanied by immorality. And so they were different religiously when they came to Jesus. One had to put down the law. The other one had to put down licentiousness. But they came to Jesus. This church was different politically and linguistically and economically and socially because the Gentiles represented the oppressor because Rome was in power at that time and the Jews represented the oppressed. So they lacked political power. And so all of these differences were going on in Ephesus in the first century, but God did what they did not imagine. God did what was above and beyond what they could have thought and even asked for. He brought different kinds of people together into one body, which is the church. And the Bible lets us know that later on, Paul would find himself in prison in a Roman jail cell. And in this jail cell, he would go on to write several letters to the churches that he planted uh, with, with the various missionaries who accompanied him. He, he would write them as their spiritual father, as their apostle in the faith. And one of those letters from prison was a letter to the church at Ephesus, which we call the book of Ephesians. And in this book, Paul wants to encourage the church and so as we find ourselves in Ephesians chapter three, reading this letter that this jailbird, this righteous jailbird wrote to this uh, diverse church, I think there's a word of encouragement for us to maintain what God has given us and to keep going forward in his name. Ephesians chapter three, we're going to see two things in this chapter. We're going to see the mystery of Christ and we're going to see the might of God. We're going to see the mystery of Christ and the might of God. So Ephesians chapter three, beginning at verse one, Paul says, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. I have to stop and pause and I have to look at that first phrase when Paul says, for this reason. So what we call chapter three, because when the Bible was written, uh, Paul didn't give chapter divisions. Chapter divisions were added later to, to make it easier for us to read. But when Paul says beginning this new thought process for this reason, we have to go back and ask what reason is he talking about? Which means we have to go back 
to chapter two because chapter two is the bridge into chapter three. So what reason or what reasons is Paul talking about? Well, in Ephesians 2.13, Paul says that God brought Gentiles near to himself, Gentiles who were far away. He brought them near by the blood of Jesus. What reason? Ephesians 2.14 says that Jesus is the peace for Jews and Gentiles who were at war with God and one another. Paul said Jesus is our peace for Jews and Gentiles to end the war between man and God and between man and man. Jesus is the peace. He is our peace. Ephesians 2.14 says that Jesus made Jews and Gentiles one. Obviously one, but not the same. And I got to let you know that that is the beauty of diversity, because when we talk about diversity, we're not talking about uniformity in the midst of our unity. No, no. We're talking about diversity in the midst of our unity. Uh, uh, we're not calling for uniformity. We're calling for unity. And with God, unity always consists in the midst of diversity and diversity consists in the midst of unity. I'll give you an example. When we think about our God, the Bible says he is one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. And then in the New Testament, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15 says that there is one God and one mediator between God and man. And so God is one. There's one God, yet he exists in diversity. He is plural in person, yet he is singular in his essence. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. These three are not the same, but these three are one. It is a mystery, and it is diverse unity just operating in glory, in glorious majesty. But then the Bible, the Word of God, it is one book with 66 different books in it. So diversity of thought from the Old Testament through the New Testament, yet a unifying theme to see Jesus Christ glorified. The Messiah who was promised, the Messiah who came and the Messiah who will come again. Unity, diversity, uh, one marriage, but two people, a man and a woman who are different. Thank God. Yet we are one flesh. So when God talks about unity, he's talking about diversity. And when God's talking about kingdom diversity, he's talking about unity. And then when we think about the church, there's only one body. Even though there are many local churches, there's only one body or one bride of Jesus Christ. Yet there are many pieces which in within each body, many members, uh, people with various gifts. So so we're, we're in the body. One body, different parts. So do you see this theme? So when God says that the Jews and Gentiles are one, that doesn't mean that they're the same. They are able to be themselves and at the same time acknowledge their ultimate identity in Jesus Christ. Isn't that good? Isn't that good? But when we think about what reason Paul is talking about, we've got to go on also to Ephesians 2.15, where it says that Jesus destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility between Jews and Gentiles. And this was in the temple where the Jews would put these walls up and they would hang signs on the walls, letting people know what court uh, they were about to enter into. And for some people, they couldn't enter into certain courts. There was a court for the women. They couldn't enter into the court of the men. Then there was a court for the Gentiles and they couldn't enter into any of the courts that had Jews in it. And so there were these walls, these partitions uh, with signs like Jim Crow segregation that would say, this is where the Gentiles stay or enter at your own risk if you go across this barrier. So there was hostility between Jews and Gentiles on the Temple Mount uh, as one would try to get to God. The, the Gentiles were far away, but God is going to bring them near by the blood of Jesus Christ and make them unified with the Hebrew people. And so we also know from Ephesians 2.15 that Jesus abolished the law and its regulations to free Jews and Gentiles from its penalty. 
We know in Ephesians 2.15 that Jesus created in himself one new man out of Jews and Gentiles. Ephesians 2.15, Jesus made peace. In other words, he ended the war between Jews and Gentiles. Ephesians 2.16, God placed Jews and Gentiles into one body and reconciled them to himself through the cross of Jesus. And as sinners are reconciled to God, sinners ought to be reconciled to one another through the same cross that brings us to God. It connects us to one another and the blood is able to forgive us in the presence of God and in the presence of one another that we have offended. According to Ephesians 2.16, Jesus put to death the hostility that existed between Jews and Gentiles by the cross. Ephesians 2.17, Jesus came and preached peace to the Jews who were near and to the Gentiles who were far away. According to Ephesians 2.18, Jesus gave Jews and Gentiles access to the Father by one spirit. Ephesians 2.19, Jesus made fellow citizens or made Gentiles fellow citizens with Jews and members of God's household. Ephesians 2.20, God is building Jews and Gentiles together on the same foundation, which is Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone. Ephesians 2.21, God is raising Jews and Gentiles together to be a holy temple in the Lord. Ephesians 2.22, in Jesus, the church of Ephesus, which is racially diverse, is being built to be a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So when Paul says in Ephesians 3.1, for this reason, he is talking about all that he mentioned in chapter 2 in terms of how God, Jesus, brought Jews and Gentiles together. How God, Jesus, ended the strife and the war, knocking down these walls of separation and petition and hostility between Jews and Gentiles, reconciling them through the cross of Jesus Christ. And when you look at Ephesians 2, you see all of the work that God does to bring men to himself and men to one another. God does the work. And here's the question. If God is able to do this with Jews and Gentiles in the first century to bring people who were at odds and at war with one another, if he was able to do all of that work to bring them together in him in the first century, can't God bring blacks and whites together in him in the 21st century? I mean, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, is he not? We also know that this is his heart, reconciliation, justice. These things are his heart. And if he did it back then, can't he do it now? So when we quote Ephesians 3.20, which we're about to see in a minute, now unto him who is able, here it is, God is able. But the question is, are we willing? Are we willing? To come to him. Are we willing to obey him? Are we willing to apologize to people that we've offended? Are we willing to forgive? Are we willing to repair? Are we willing to try? Are we willing to acknowledge? Are we willing to learn? Are we willing to tell the truth? Are we willing to listen? Are we willing to change? God is able. But are we willing? We must be willing. We must give God our yes and watch him do the rest. So the reason why this church could come together is because they were willing as they came to Christ. And he did more than they could ever imagine or think by putting them together in one body, making them one man, one new man in Christ. And if God did that before, he can do that right now. He wants to do that right now. But the people who claim to be in his body, we are so divided that the world doesn't know who to look to for witness. When Jesus said the world will know that we're his disciples by how we love one another. But the world doesn't see us loving one another. They see us dividing over politics. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. They see blacks and whites in the church at odds. The world sees Democrats and Republicans in the church fighting one another. 
conservatives versus liberals in the church, right versus left in the church, red versus blue in the church, the rich versus the poor in the church. And we have lost our saltiness. We are preaching a gospel that lacks power because we don't see or they don't see power demonstrated in our lives. What do I mean? Romans 1:16, Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power or the dunamis, the dynamite of God for everyone who believes to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. So the gospel is able to bring people together, Jews and Gentiles. That's proof of its power, that it is working spiritually, that it shows up socially and relationally. But when the world doesn't see us coming together in Christ and because of Christ, having our differences, but not allowing our differences to divide us, they can see power. They can hear and see the gospel. But oh, when the house is divided against itself, it can't stand. When the church is fighting against itself, it's not acting like one body getting the dictates from one head. It's acting like a, a, a body that has multiple heads or political heads or racial heads, philosophical heads. But no, no, no. We need to come back to the one and only head who is over this one body. The church. So God is able to do it. We have to be willing to work with him. But but but, but watch this, though. I'm a mess with you. Technically, technically, this divided church, people who profess to know Jesus, we're so divided. Technically, we're already united. We're just not acting like what we are. In other words, we don't have to go out and make unity happen. God already made unity occur. Jesus already did all of the work through giving his life on the cross. God has already done the work to bring us together. So technically, we're already together, which is why the book of Ephesians spends the first three chapters talking about our position in Christ. Because out of our position flows our practice, chapters four, five and six. So once you know who you are, it will affect how you live. But based on how the church is living, being divided over race and politics, it just shows that we don't really know who we are and what our position is together. That's why people like me and people like you need to preach the gospel to the church and not just preach the gospel to the world. The church needs the gospel. We need to understand who we are in Christ, what our position is, because God's already brought us together. We need to act like it's true. We need to live like it's so. We don't have to make it happen. God's made it happen, and we need to walk in what he's done. But if we have agendas, if we if we have things that are contrary, that we've elevated over him, what he's done in his kingdom agenda. We will continue to be a divided church. But let's go. I, I, I got to jump into the text. Ephesians chapter three, verse one. OK, for this reason, and I just gave you multiple reasons from chapter two. I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. So Paul, according to the earlier chapters of Galatians, he was the apostle to the Gentiles. Peter was the apostle to the Jews. So God had anointed him and given him a special ability to reach Gentiles. He reached Jews, too, but he also had this ability to reach Gentiles, maybe because he had, you know, Roman citizenship and he could travel freely. All of that. God prepared this man. He was bilingual on and on and on. And so we see as we pick it back up that in verse three, that is the mystery made known to me by revelation. There's that word mystery, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery 
of Christ, which was not made known to men in other generations as it has now been revealed by the spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. Did you see that? The mystery, what was unknown in times past, but there were hints in times past where the Bible says in Genesis 12 that God told Abraham, I'm going to bless every family on the face of the earth through you, through the Jews. Everybody will be blessed. Over in the book of Isaiah, it speaks of how the Messiah would be a light to the Gentiles. So God was dropping clues in the Old Testament of his inclusive kingdom of Jews and Gentiles. And now in the New Testament, after the death, burial and resurrection and ascension of Jesus, the pouring out of the spirit to start the church. And now Paul, the apostle, says this mystery now is solved. This mystery now has been made clear. And what is that? According to verse six, that God is bringing Gentiles together with Israel to be members in one body and sharers in the promise of Christ Jesus. No one expected that. I mean, that was over the top that God was bringing these kinds of people together. This was amazing. This was powerful. This was the gospel, which is why he says in verse seven, I became a servant of this gospel. Can I, can, can, I, can I put the brakes on, throw it in reverse and take it back real quick and then go forward? He says, this is the gospel I'm preaching. That God in Christ Jesus is bringing Jews and Gentiles together into one household. This gospel I'm preaching. Because today, I, I, I usually hear from white believers who don't want to engage the social aspects of the kingdom, uh, who want to be so heavenly minded that they're not earthly relevant or present, that they will say to people like me, just preach the gospel. And what they mean by that is just talk about heaven. Just tell people how they can come to know Jesus and go to heaven. Maybe Jesus will change their heart and maybe People would change hearts, will change the world. That's not all of the gospel. Uh, we got to preach what Paul said. I I'm preaching this gospel right here that, that brings people together, not just trying to get people to heaven, but bringing them together, which means we're going to have to deal with injustice in order to bring people together. Because if I'm really going to love my neighbor, I need to care about the injustices that plague my neighbor. So I can't love you and not do justice to help you and vice versa. So Paul is saying this is the gospel I'm preaching that is not just spiritual, but it is relational and it is sociological because today most people are preaching a political gospel. And a political gospel is a power, powerless gospel. A partisan gospel is a powerless gospel, a prosperity gospel. Or a gospel that speaks of white nationalism is a powerless gospel. We've got to preach this gospel, the whole counsel of the word of God. Oh, my. I got to keep going. I got to keep going. I'm running out of time. Verse eight or verse seven. Rather, Paul says, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which is for eight, which in ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now let the church say now through the church. The manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. So Paul was saying that God kept that mystery uh, uh, untold. Everything hadn't uh, uh, appeared yet. He gave some hints in the Old Testament. But now the mystery has been solved. And this mystery is that God is bringing men and women 
Jews and Gentiles, rich and poor together in Christ Jesus. And, and, and then he says that that God wants this to be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Who's that? That's spiritual wickedness. That's, that's demonic activity. That's the devil himself. That God wants to use a unified, diverse church to show the devil that he is exceedingly defeated. He was defeated by the cross of Jesus, by the blood of Jesus. And God says, as a result, what was birthed out of that cross was this church, the body of Jesus Christ, which is supposed to be diverse, just like it is in heaven. And, and, and this kind of church is a display to the hounds of hell of the power of the gospel of Jesus, that different kinds of people can come together and be one, but not the same in Jesus. In other words, God shoves the church in the devil's face. But when the church is divided and when we focus more on being homogeneous and comfortable than on being biblical and coming together. God can't show us off to the devil. <clears throat> you remember, um, as I think of the passing of Chadwick Boseman last week um, in the movie, The Black Panther. He is fighting for the crown in one of the opening scenes. He he's fighting one of um, the residents of Wakanda who lives in the mountains of the Jabari tribe. And and he comes down and the two of them fight in the water right there at the waterfall. And uh, I think it's Mbaku was his name. And as they're fighting, um, it goes back and forth and forth and back. But then the opponent grabs uh, Chadwick Boseman, the Black Panther, and begins to, to lift him up and choke, uh, uh, just hold him real tightly. And, and he's basically hitting him with his own head and there's blood coming. And, and T'Challa, who is the Black Panther, nearly faints. He, he, he kind of leans back while he's being held in this man's arms. Blood is flowing and he's dazed from the contact. And then while he is upside down like this, his mother speaks from the rafter and she says to him, tell him who you are. And that's played by Angela Bassett. Mama says, tell him who you are. And so it's as if he kind of came back to himself and he said, I am Prince T'Challa, son of King T'Chaka. I am Prince T'Challa, son of King T'Chaka. So once he affirmed who he was, when he reminded himself of his identity, the fight shifted <laughs> and eventually he won. I'm saying all that to say that when we know who we are, it changes how we fight. It changes how we live when we know our identity in Jesus Christ, because God is shouting from the rafters because we're engaging in warfare with the enemy. We're not wrestling with flesh and blood primarily, but we are wrestling with flesh, uh, with spiritual wickedness in high places. And God is saying to us as we're in the spiritual battle, tell the devil who you are, because once you know who you are, it will change how you fight. And if we were to go quickly to Ephesians chapter one, in terms of knowing who we are, Ephesians chapter one, verse one says that we are saints. Ephesians one, two says we are the faithful in Christ Jesus. Ephesians one, three says that we are blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Ephesians one, four says that we are chosen, holy and blameless. We got to tell the devil who we are. Ephesians one, five says that we are predestined and adopted. Got to tell him who you are. Ephesians one, six says that we are recipients of grace. Ephesians 1 7 says that we are redeemed and forgiven of our sins. Ephesians 1 13 says that we are marked in him with the seal, the precious Holy Spirit, the deposit, the promise guaranteeing our future inheritance. We got to recognize who we are. And that's how the church is able to display itself to the devil and say we are not going to be divided over secondary things. 
We are standing on primary truths that we are one in Christ Jesus. We are together. We've got more in common than we than we have uh, that separate us. So Paul is just preaching to the church. I got to close. I got to close. I got to go to verse 14 where Paul says, for this reason, again, based on everything he just said about this mystery. Now we're moving into the might. He says, I'm kneeling before the father from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. God is the father of us all. He's saying verse 16. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power. You here is plural. Uh, so this is not individualistic. This is speaking of the community of believers. All of you, I'm praying that you would be strengthened with power through the spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts, Jew and Gentile hearts through faith. And I pray that you, Jew and Gentile, being rooted and established in love, love may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you, all of you, Jews and Gentiles, may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. What a prayer. And then he says, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask. We didn't ask to come together, but God brought us together. He's done more than we could ever imagine and is better than we could ever imagine. How good and how pleasant it is when brothers and sisters can dwell together in unity. He says that God is doing more, immeasurably more, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church, in the church, and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. That's the ideal. That's what God has set up his body. We've got to stop dividing what God has united. We've got to preach this gospel. We've got to stand on this Christ and stop putting politics ahead of the gospel. Stop putting partisanship ahead of the kingdom of God. Now to him. And I'm so glad that just as Ephesus started as a multiracial church 25 years ago, God started this church as a multiracial church. And we preached his word and we've loved people in his name and he's added to this body. And I'm so glad to be a part of a little bit of heaven on earth until we get to heaven in heaven. My God. Ah. You know, there's a movie that came out several years ago called Remember the Titans. And it was a movie based on a true story of a football team in Virginia um, in a small town that had been divided by race. This is in 1971. And so there had been strides made from the civil rights movement in terms of integration in schools. And so in this small town, they were strictly segregated um, and, 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 and there was a murder that had occurred where a white store owner shot a young black male in the store. And so just like today, uh, it caused an, up, uh, an uproar in the community. So, so the place was divided. And um, the story goes on to talk about how the football team, which was all white, was now going to be diversified because they were bringing two schools together to be one school, a white school and a black school. And so they were bringing in also a black football coach to be on this new team that was going to be diversified. Well, the, the white head coach really didn't want the black head coach played by Denzel Washington uh, to, 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 to come on board. The white players didn't want the black players to come on board. But Denzel Washington said to the white coach, I'm here to support you. Um, um, I will coach all the kids the same. And so that, that's how it was. But then the school board decided to flip it and make Denzel Washington the head coach in order to give some kind of uh, encouragement to the hostile black community. So they put Denzel as the head coach. Well, you know that caused a lot of chaos and rejection and resistance in the community. Well, long story short, many of you have seen the movie. Um, they decided the two head coaches, one black, one white, to work together. 
And once they came together, they were setting an example for the team to come together. And so they took the team to a college in order to train for the summer to get ready for the season. And the two best players on the team played on defense and they hated each other. Uh, uh, and so they would fight, they would fight. But over time, through all of the working out together and the living together and the eating together and the practicing together, the team started coming together. The football, the, the game of football brought them together. Their love for football brought them together. Somebody sees where I'm going. And so when they came away from the, the practice on the college, back into a hostile, divided, racially divided world and context, they were different, but the world was the same. And so the rest of the movie deals with how they are going to apply their unity in the midst of a dysfunctional and divided culture. Even when their parents questioned their love for black or white people, they still maintained their love. And so what I saw was that this was a racially diverse football team that ended up bringing the community together. How did they do that? Well, they were different races but they were the same team. They played different positions, but they were on the same team. They, they had different life experiences, but they played on the same team. They all had different fears, but they played on the same team. And being on the same team gave them the ability to enjoy the game and transform the culture. And I'm just here to let you know that God is calling a, oh, and it helped that they won, <laughs> that they won. God is calling a racially diverse church to bring a racially divided community and country together. For people to realize who, who love Jesus, that we are on the same team. And it's called the local church. That we have the same playbook and it's called the Bible that we wear the same uniform and it's the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Even the armor of God that we put on, which represents Jesus in Ephesians 6. We have the same coach who is Jesus Christ. We have the same power, which is the Holy Spirit. We have the same owner, which is God the Father. And we have the same goal to live like we've already won to live like the conquerors that Christ made us to be. We're not fighting to get the victory. We're fighting because we are victorious. So that's why we can do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with God. But the world is waiting to see a church like that. Strong Tower, may we continue to be what God has called us to be. May he use us in years to come to plant churches, encourage churches to to be more in line with the kingdom and less in line with partisanship and the things of the world. We're going into a heavy season coming up where there's going to be a lot of division in the land. But there has to be people who are willing to preach this gospel and remind people of this ideal in the midst of the ordeal that this country is facing. Oh, Lord, may the church rise up and be the church in this hour. Father, thank you for this word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, praise the Lord. Oh, my goodness. Ain't God all right? Bad English, but good theology. Yes, God is all right. God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. You know, on the Mount of Transfiguration, when Jesus outshone a midday sun, uh, letting his glory be uh, unveiled just momentarily as a sign of what it would be like when he returns. Uh, uh, the Bible says that they said, isn't it good for us to be here? And I just want to say to you, isn't it good to be here at this church for such a time as this? Amen. If you don't have a church home, and you would be interested in Strong Tower, I hope you'll check us out. If you don't know the Lord Jesus, most importantly, I pray that you would check him out 
And the Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The Lord is Jesus Christ. Call upon him. Give him your life. He died to set you free. He died that you might be forgiven. He rose again from the grave to make sure that you will rise and be in the presence of God the Father. He'll change your life. I am a witness, so let him in. All right, Strong Tower, uh, it's time for us to receive the benediction. Uh, gives it new meaning now, doesn't it? So I'm just going to read it. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church, in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. God bless you, Strong Tower. You are blessed to be a blessing. Happy anniversary. Thank you for joining us today at Strong Tower Bible Church, where Dr. Chris Williamson is senior pastor. We hope you enjoyed worshiping with us and will join us next Sunday morning right here for our 1030 a.m. service. Be sure to stay informed on upcoming Strong Tower Bible Church events and activities. Download the Strong Tower Bible Church app in the App Store or visit our website at www.strongtowerbiblechurch.com. We pray you have have a blessed, wonderful, and safe remainder of the day. And we'll see you next week, same time, right here at the Tower.